You know we have been preaching for quite some time through the Gospel of Mark and it always amazes me how these things just seem to happen. Uh, you can't do this very long and continue to believe in coincidence. So Mark chapter 14 is where we are today. I think it is the most apropos place for us to be as we stand here on the precipice of 2022 looking at what it holds for us. Mark chapter 14, going to be reading verses 22 through 31. And of course, this is, um, some of your Bibles say the Last Supper, but I would like to say it's the First Supper. Because here uh, is where the Lord Jesus instituted uh, what we celebrate today, and we'll be celebrating at the conclusion of this worship service, what we call the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper was very much a dramatic, acted-out parable. And here's one of the things that bothers me. Uh, we as, as 21st century believers miss so much of the culture that these guys who were sitting around that table that night were fully aware of. So they experienced the full import of what he was doing and how he was acting this out and how he was showing them the gospel. He had been telling them the gospel and now he's showing them the gospel. So I've brought some things with me today to try to follow his pattern and kind of show or demonstrate the gospel as he gives it to us in the institution of the Lord's Supper. Now, these uh, cups and this, uh, this vase, uh, Heather and I, as you know, were missionaries to the Quilombolas of Brazil. We worked there as frontline missionaries for about 11 years before we came back to uh, teach a little bit at the Baptist College of Florida. And lo and behold, while we were here, we stumbled upon a little church called Grace. And here we are. So anyway, um, we were coming back into the capital city in Maranhão, Brazil, after having spent a significant amount of time in the interior. And we passed this Quilombola village that's rather close to the capital city. And there is where they make still a lot of their cultural stuff. Uh, they, everything that they do is still made out of clay, uh, a lot of it. Uh, you know the water filters that we use there to help reach the quilombolas are made of this same clay. They make big frying pans, and you'd think frying pan made of clay wouldn't work, but I'm telling you it's as tough as a cast iron skillet. Uh, Heather and I had some of those and some big stew pots that are made of clay, and while I was there, I saw this set of, um, of glasses with this, I guess you call it a chalice, and um, I just couldn't resist but buy it. Heather didn't understand why I was buying it, and one of our Quilombola believers was with us, and he couldn't understand why I was buying it. He kept saying, Pastor, Pastor, tu sabes que es para vino, eh? And what that means is, you know this is used for wine, Right? And I said, yeah, I understand that's used for wine, but don't worry about that. In the U.S., we don't use this for wine. And he just kind of relaxed, you know. And I said, in the U.S., we drink tequila out of this stuff. <laughs> Couldn't help it, you know. <laughs> anyway, you know I'm just picking. I don't know if he did or not. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I'm going to use this set of, of handmade quilombola uh, Couples uh, venue uh, to demonstrate for us uh, what this text teaches us. So follow along with me. I know you have your Bibles. Mark chapter 14, uh, verse number 22. While they, that is Jesus and the eleven disciples. 
While they were sitting, he took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And after seeing him, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing. Now, before we delve into this text and and before we demonstrate what it is that he is doing here and in parabolic, dramatic parabolic form, I think we need to make a few general observations about the Lord's Supper. So here we go. Number one, notice that the Lord's Supper is something that is designated for believers only, just like its, just like its sister ordinance, baptism. It is for those who have placed their faith in Christ, been born again, been transformed, been regenerated, been saved, whatever you want to call it. It's for believers. Remember that at this time, Judas had already left the room. So the unbeliever in the group was not there. So it's for Christ. It's an intimate time of fellowship between Christ and His followers. Number two, I think we need to note that what he says here is not to be taken literally. When he says, take and eat, this is my body. Take and drink, this is my blood. This is not cannibalism. And he no more meant that that bread literally turns into the essence of his body and the blood or the wine turns into the essence of his blood than he did when he said other things in the gospel like, I am the door of the sheep. Now, you know, nobody understands Jesus to be a door. But yet there are some folk who insist that this is literal. Well, that's what's called an inconsistent hermeneutic. In plain terms, it means that we are not interpreting Scripture consistently. And any time we lack consistency, we normally lack truth. So what he's doing here is for us to be understood symbolically. Again, he was acting out what the gospel contains. So I want to speak to you today on this subject. As we step off into 2022, I want to talk to you about implementing lasting change. You see, that's what Jesus did here. Now, as we have been looking at at New Year's all week on television, everything you seem to turn on has something to do with it. And I was watching one show this week for some reason, and they went to the street and they were asking people about their New Year's resolution. Because, come on, it's a new day, it's a new year, everybody's thinking about what I want to do better. How I want to be better in 2022 than I was in 2021. How I want to change. What change do I want to bring into my life in 2022? And they begin to interview some people on the street and ask them about their New Year's resolutions. And they say, well, hey, how about your resolution last year? How did it go? 
And the overwhelming majority of people say that a New Year's resolution is usually gone by the 10th of January. So you see, we're talking about lasting change. How can we implement lasting change? And that's what Jesus did here. So let's look at this passage of Scripture and see just how it is that we can implement lasting change in our lives as believers. I think the Scripture teaches us first that to implement lasting change, there must be a departure from traditional patterns. Hey, just mark it down. Change means something's different. You can't stay stuck where you are, how you are, like you are, and at the same time say you're changed. You understand that change is the very heart of salvation. I once was this, but now I am this. I used to like this, but now I love that. You were once an old creature, but in Christ, He makes you a new creation. At the heart of salvation is the basic component of change and transformation. But yet, once we seem to get in, we seem to resist change the rest of our lives. It said that people don't really dislike change, they just like bad change. The problem is how we perceive change. Most of the things that are good, we still look at them through the lenses of the old man and think they're bad, so we resist them. So how do we implement lasting change? We do it, number one, by a departure from traditional patterns. Now, let me show you this in this passage of Scripture. Let me show you what Jesus was doing, and let me show you how He departed from traditional patterns. Because guess what they were doing? They were there eating what's known as the Passover meal, right? He transforms the Passover meal into what we now know as the Lord's Supper. And in doing so, he departed drastically from the traditional norms. And this is part that you and I, 2,000 years removed, sometimes don't get and don't understand, but certainly Peter, James, and John... And those other guys around that table understood that he was doing something radical in this last Passover. Now, let me take you back to the passage that Amy read for us this morning in Exodus chapter 6. So keep your finger in Mark chapter uh, 14. But find your place with me also in Exodus chapter 6. And I want you to see what the traditional patterns were in a typical Passover celebration. You see, at a a traditional Passover celebration, there were four cups of wine on the table. And these four cups of wine corresponded to four promises that Yahweh God, the covenant-keeping God, made with His people in Exodus chapter 6. And during the meal, they would recite these promises. They would eat certain elements that were there on the table... And then as as significance of being grateful for that promise that was fulfilled, they would all take the cup and pass it around the table. Are you following me so far? All right, let's look at these promises. See if you can pick them out. Each one of them corresponds directly to one of the cups that would have been sitting on that table that night in that upper room when Jesus departed from the traditional norms in order to establish and implement lasting change. All right, check them out. Be on your P's and Q's here. You've been with me long enough. You ought to pick some things out of this text so there's going to be a test at the end of it. All right, here we go. Notice chapter 6. Let's read it one more time. 
of uh, Exodus chapter 6. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. Notice how it's spelled. I am Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. I will, notice all of these I wills. You may want to underline them because they are, they, they are what form the, the basis of these four promises that were celebrated in perpetuity throughout the history of Israel up until the Last Supper when Jesus instituted lasting change. I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Verse number 8. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. Now what do you notice about that text? Anything? There's a repetition which corresponds to the four promises. That's right. But what's that other big word that we've learned and we throw around sometime? What does, that, what does this passage start with and what does it end with? These are the things that you've got to learn to pick out when you're reading the Bible because this is key clues to how we understand a text. Anybody? Say it, Perry. He said, I am. Look with me in verse number 6. How does he start out? I am the Lord, or I am Yahweh. I am the covenant-keeping God. He repeats that a couple of times throughout the passage, and look how he closes verse number 8. With what? I am the Lord. Now, here's your test. What is that known as? You've been with me long enough, you ought to know some of these geeky, nerdy words that us geeks like to use. Somebody? All right, write it down, because you're going to have a test next week on it too. Hey, I'm taking... Say it! Oh, Dr. John, there you go. It's known as an inclusio. And an inclusio is something that, that starts at the beginning of the passage and it also closes the passage. It forms parentheses on the passage. And that tells us what the main thought that the writer is trying to communicate to us in that passage. So if you have a passage that's marked off by the... Inclusio, I am the Lord at the beginning and it closes with I am the covenant keeping God at the end. What is the main idea that God's trying to communicate to His people? That I am the covenant keeping God. So guess what He intersperses throughout in between that one parenthesis that closes and the other parenthesis that opens. He is interspersing four promises that are completely dependent not upon us, but upon Him because He is the promise-keeping God. Now notice, this would have been part of the traditional Passover meal. These four cups corresponding to these four promises given in Exodus chapter 6. Now, here we go. So in order to implement lasting change, there must be departure from the traditional patterns and that's what Jesus does. Let me walk you through these promises. Promise number one or cup number one is found in Exodus chapter 6 verse number 6 and here was the promise. The promise was deliverance from bondage. Now look at this in verse number 6. I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt. Do you see that? 
I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt. Look, at, and here's, you see there's five I wills in there, but two of them are included in the same promise that was celebrated in the Passover meal. And it's this first one. I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt. And here's the second one. I will deliver you from their bondage. So what is the first promise that Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, makes in this passage to His people? He promises that He will bring them out from under the bondage of the Egyptians. Say it like this. He promises to deliver them from bondage. That's cup number one. So they would pass that cup around the table and in doing that they would say, we are so grateful to God that He's a faithful covenant-keeping God that He delivered our forefathers from under the bondage of Egypt. But watch this. Jesus is implementing lasting change. Friend, this has more significance than just not being a slave to the Egyptians anymore. Now this has spiritual significance and it means that what Jesus is about to do on Calvary's cross is going to set you free from the bondage and slavery of sin. Wow. So here they are passing this cup around. Can I say to you it holds a lot more significance to us than it did to them? You know, let me say to you that if you're here today and you've never been born again, you've never been saved, You're not a free person. Did you know that? You're not. We fight so much over free will, but can I just clear it up for you tonight or this morning? If you're not born again, you don't have a free will. Luther wrote a classic on this called The Bondage of the Will. You are going to do what sin demands that you do. Do you know why it is why so many people have New Year's resolutions and they can't keep them? Because they're still in bondage to those old patterns. And we don't have it within us to be able to break those patterns. It takes something beyond us to be able to implement lasting change in our lives. So cup number one, he passed it around. I am the Lord your God who will deliver you from the bondage of Egypt. Cup number one gone. Are you with me? Jesus and his disciples There at the table where he's instituting lasting change. Three cups left on the table. Notice what the next promise is in Exodus chapter 6. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Hey, do you remember that Exodus story? How did they get out of there? I mean, here they were. Moses leading probably two million people out with all their livestock, all their cows... Uh, everything they have, they're going out and about the time they clear the city, Pharaoh changes his mind says, I'm not letting those people go. Saddle up my horses and, 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 and mount the cavalry. We're going to get them. So here these people are. They've got Pharaoh behind them and they've got the Red Sea in front of them. There's no way on God's green earth they're going to escape. It's about to be a bloodbath. And what they do? Well, they just made a boat and sailed across. No, they didn't. You see, here's what God did. God said, stand still and know that I am the Lord. Moses stretched out his staff and the Bible says the Red Sea parted. Wouldn't you love to have been there? Man, I would have loved to say. And and hey, it, it wasn't like the liberal scholars say just ankle deep. Oh no, you don't drown an entire Egyptian army in ankle deep water. Are you following me? Because all of the Egyptian army followed. I mean, I can just see it. It kind of be like going to the Aquarium of the Americas. You know where you go to that big tunnel and there's water all around you and all over you? And that was the first aquarium attraction, wasn't it? 
That may be where they got their idea from right there. But I mean, I can just picture it. Wall of water here, wall of water here. You're walking along and, my goodness, there's a big redfish right there. <laughs> just reach in there and pull him out. I'm going to take you with me, buddy. Come on. <laughs> it was miraculous. I mean, God demonstrated His power. So how did He redeem them from the bondage of Egypt? He did it by delighting to show them His power. Now watch this. This is cup number three. Can anybody here identify with cup number three? You were sold as a slave on the sin market. As much as you wanted to change, you didn't have it within you. You couldn't break addictions. You couldn't quit doing the things that you wanted to do. You were just stuck. And one day, apart from anything that you knew was possible, God came along and snatched you out of sin's grasp and set you free because the Bible says if any man is in Christ, if he shall set you free, you are what? Free indeed. He broke the chains and set us free. And hear me, it wasn't just a choice you made. You can't make a choice. Hey, we can't even keep a New Year's resolution. How in God's name do you think you're going to make a commitment to God Almighty that's going to usher you into change and into eternal life? I'm telling you, it's impossible for man. The Bible says, can a leper change his spots? And the answer is no. Can a sinner change his life? No. Can a dead man bring himself to life? No. But I'm telling you, God, when He demonstrates His power with His outstretched arm, He reached into your deadness and brought forth life. He reaches into your old slavery and He sets you free because He does it by the power of His right outstretched hand. Woo, listen here. His old boy didn't save himself. Ain't no way. If you've been saved, you didn't do it yourself because it's a gift of God. It's not of your doings. And yet I talked to so many people. I talked to somebody right here in Bonifay not long ago. And I was asking them about their relationship with the Lord. And they said, oh yeah. This is what they said. I'm not lying to you. Oh yeah. About ten years ago, I walked down the aisle and old brother so-and-so saved me. And it was all I could do to bite my tongue. You know how I am. Hence the tequila reference. (laughs) I wanted to say, well, brother so-and-so must have saved you because it's obvious God didn't because you ain't changed one bit, dude. Huh? You know anybody like that? Salvation means change. It means departure from traditional patterns. Hey, I know we're not perfect, but there's change that takes place. All of a sudden our appetites are different. We don't like to eat the same sin that we used to eat. Now we have an appetite for holiness and for Him and a hunger for His Word. And if that change has never taken place, listen to me. I doubt very seriously God by His outstretched arm has ever delivered you and you've never drank Him from cup number two. Cup number two, watch the promise. I will deliver you. I I didn't give it to you. Here it is. By a demonstration of divine power. How does God save anybody? How does God deliver anybody? By demonstrating what He can do that you can't do. By demonstrating divine power. If you're here today and you've never been born again, listen, you can't do it. But God can. (laughs) And He will. And He'll deliver you with a demonstration of divine power. Cup number two is off the table, guys. In the Passover meal. Check it out. We've got two cups left. And what is cup number three? Well, cup number three is found in 
Exodus chapter 6, verse number 7. Look what he says. Then I will take you for my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I am Yahweh, your Elohim, who brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt. Man, he's talking about knowing. There's eternal security right there. Is it possible to know that you've been saved? Oh yeah, when God saves you, you know it. Huh? If you saved yourself or think you saved yourself, you might not know that. But watch me. When God has delivered you and there's been a change, by golly, it's not something you just hope that one day you make it. It's something that you know that you've been born again. Because that's what he says here. He says, you'll know. You'll know. You'll know. Now what was the promise? Here's the way I state it. It's dedication to His pledge. Dedication to His own pledge. Look what He said. He said, I will do all of this. I will do. Then you will know. Now at this point is where most New Testament scholars say that Jesus departed from the traditional pattern of the Passover meal. Are you following me? It's cup number three. And what is cup number three? Then you will know that I... Or no, 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 no. Then I will take you as my people. So now is here's where I'm going to break form in my outline. So here's what, it, here's what he's saying. Go, let's leave cup, cup number four open. Drop down with me. This is the change that Jesus instituted in the Lord's Supper with cup number three. Here's what he's saying. To implement lasting change, there must be an unconditional commitment to imperfect people. Do you see that? Let me show it to you in Exodus and in our Mark chapter 14 passage. Notice what it is that God says in Exodus. Verse number 7. Then I will take you for my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God. This is what's known in the Old Testament as a unilateral covenant. Are you with me? Write that word down on your paper. Unilateral covenant. U-N-I-L-A-T-E-R-A-L. And most people who are familiar with contracts know that there's two kinds of contracts or covenants. There is a unilateral and then there's a bilateral. Here's the beauty of your salvation, brothers and sisters. It wasn't bilateral. It's unilateral. It's all dependent upon God. God didn't say, now I'll do this if you do that and then we'll be together. It's not what He said. He said, then I will take you as my people. And get this, that was a sorry bunch of scoundrels. Were they not? I mean, they just came through the Red Sea, the Aquarium of the Americas. They were still carrying redfish in their backpack that they plucked, plucked out of the walls of water. They get to the other side and what do they do? They decide they're going to make them a god. So they put all their gold in a melting pot and they make them a calf and old Aaron leads them to worship it while Moses is up on Mount Sinai. This is the same people that God said, I will take you to be my people. Praise be unto God. It's not dependent upon me. It's not bilateral. God didn't say, now if you do this, then I'll do this. It's completely unilateral. I will do this. I'll take you as my people. Whoo, listen. I want to tell you, that shouting grounds right there, brother. Because if it was possible for me to lose it, if it was bilateral, I'd lose it before I couldn't finish preaching right here. You know what I'm saying? I would. It's impossible for me. So he didn't make it a bilateral covenant. It's unilateral. Now let me show you what Jesus did with this. He takes 
This cup, and he says, drink it. This third cup, he says, drink it. This is the new covenant in my blood. Son, it's not dependent upon your good works. It's not dependent upon what you do. It's dependent upon what he did on Calvary's cross. It's this blood. It's this blood that once applied to a sin-stained reprobate, they become white as snow and they are the people of God because of the blood. And he said, take and drink for this is the new covenant in my blood. But now let me show you. You think he wasn't committed? It was an unconditional commitment on the part of the Lord Jesus Christ to a bunch of imperfect people. Let me show you how imperfect they were. Mark chapter 14. Now get this. He just instituted the Lord's Supper. He just pledged himself to this ragtag bunch. You'd think that one made a difference, huh? But let me show you what they did. In Mark chapter 14, they get up from the supper. They walk outside. They sing one of the Hallel Psalms. And then Jesus says this, You will all fall away because it's written, I will strike down the sheep of the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Look, Peter began... and I, I, You know, I bet Peter began to swear to the Lord. Because, you know, the, the, the Greek behind this is very intense. Peter basically rebuked it. He was basically calling Jesus a liar. He said, oh, no, 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 no. You got this all wrong. Look what he says in verse number 29. Even though all may fall away, yet not I... And look how specific Jesus was. He says, I tell you that this very night... He's going to be more specific. Before the rooster crows twice... You, Mr. Peter, will deny me three times. My goodness. And look what they all kept in verse number 31. Peter kept insistently, even though I have to die with you. Hey, there was his New Year's resolution. What if his salvation would have been based upon his commitment? Huh? He wouldn't have made it out of the Garden of Gethsemane with it before he was a hell-bound, destitute man again. Are you following me? Check it out. Verse number 31. And they all were saying the same thing. Now stop and think about this. If Jesus was anything less than 100% God, after I just committed to die on a cross for that bunch, and I told them, take and drink this third cup. It's the cup of my blood. Knowing that they were fixing to scatter like cockroaches when you flipped the light on because they were so scared, I'd have probably said, hey, 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 y'all. Forget all that. If y'all can't even stand with me here, ain't no way I'm hanging on the cross for you, sorry, honeys. But guess what? He made an unconditional commitment to imperfect people. And he took that third cup and he said, let's drink. Hey, you know, hey, listen to me. Can I just preach a little bit right here? You know, Jesus is not the only one that kind of makes an unconditional promise to imperfect people. You have to do it too if you're going to implement lasting change in your life. You know what I'm saying? Hey, is anybody here married? Raise your hand. Now, anybody here married to a perfect person? Raise your hand. Oh, Colin's lying. He's lying. <laughs> well, well, let's just say that Colin is married to a perfect person. He's the only one of us. But let me ask you something. Hey, hey, Evan, look, this is a whole row of newlyweds right here. A whole row... There's Caleb and Savannah. Here's Emma and Tristan. And here is Evan 
and Laura Lynn. Now, y'all brand new at this marriage game. How long did it take you to realize that she wasn't perfect? Huh? No, that's right. Don't answer. <laughs> Who said that? Woo! You're exactly right. They all got kind of wide-eyed, didn't they? <laughs> but look, when you had that Copernicus moment, when you realized that she wasn't perfect, did it make you want to take your marriage license and tear it up? Absolutely not. <laughs> you make a commitment to imperfect people. If you're waiting for Mr. Perfect or Miss Perfect, you're going to, be a, you're going to die a lonely old maid. <laughs> huh? So you do make unconditional commitments to imperfect people. But hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's go a little bit farther. Here's what folk tell me a lot of times. Well, you know, Pastor Richie, I, I, I believe in God, but I don't want to have nothing to do with the church. Ain't nothing but a bunch of hypocrites up there. You are not reflecting very well the fact that you have been changed on the inside. Because when you're changed on the inside, you make commitments just as Jesus did to imperfect people. And that's what the church is, right? right. Huh? I mean, isn't that what we are? I mean, look around. We're, we're a ragtag bunch, aren't we? I, I, look, I got a friend of mine that one day I was at his church and he stood up and said, Hey, welcome. We're glad you're here. But if, if you're here and you've got it all together this morning, you may want to gather up your stuff and get the heck out of here right now because we are imperfect people and we will mess you up. <laughs> And that's what the church is. But yet, I love you. I'm not going to bail out on you just because you do something that disappoints me. I hope you don't bail out on me just because I do something that disappoints you. No, when I do something that disappoints you, huh? Because I am. Because we're imperfect people. But if we're going to implement lasting change in our life, then we've got to have an unconditional commitment just like Christ did to imperfect people. All right, look at here. Cup number three and this Passover meal that he's transforming into what we know now as the Lord's Supper that we celebrate regularly. Cup number three where he departed from the traditional pattern is gone. What do you reckon those guys that were good Jews, good Jewish Hebrew children sitting around there, what do you reckon they thought? When, Wait a minute. That's not on my program. What is he doing? That's not what we're supposed to be at right now. I bet they were shocked because they understood that he wasn't following the traditional pattern. But wait a minute. Notice something else. To implement lasting change, there must be anticipation of a better place. Now let's go back to cup number four. Are you, are, are you, are you watching this? Look with me in, in, in verse number eight. To implement lasting change, there must be anticipation of a better place. I hope you really think that you're going to be in a better place in 2022 than you were in 2021. If you're walking with Christ, you ought to be. You ought to be more mature. You ought to look a little bit more like Him. 2022 ought to be better spiritually for us. Dr. John, it's amazing. A little church that couldn't muster $35,000 a year just three years ago, we just topped $200,000 three years later. My gosh, God's doing something here. Do you see that? But get this, our 2022 ought to, be, ought to blow 2021 out of the water. In the churches that we start, because you know we send our people and we send our money out to start other churches. We send our people and our money around the world to unreached villages. It's like where I bought this stuff. My goodness, we ought to get to a whole new level 
and 2022. Are you with me? Now check this out. Look what he said in, in Exodus. Here's the fourth promise that corresponds to the fourth cup. Verse number 8, I will bring you to the land. Oh, it's that promised land that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A land flowing with milk and honey. A land where the grapes are the size of basketballs. I'm going to bring you to this. Notice God's doing it. You're not going to get it. I'm going to bring you to it. I'm going to give it to you as your possession. Anticipation of a better place. Hey, man, I hope you're sitting on the edge of your seat looking at 2022 with saliva dripping out the corner of your mouth. Thinking of what God's going to do and how much better 2022 is going to be for all of us than was 2021. Because God's going to bring us to a better place. You see, that's what the Lord's Supper is all about. Now get this. I want you to see what this better place is. Scripturally, and let's, let's get back to Mark chapter 14. That better place is a place where communion is restored. Where communion is restored. Look what Jesus said. After they drank the cup, after they went out to the garden, after He said, y'all are all going to deny me, and they all did. After He was crucified, look what He, look what he said. Verse 28, but after I've been raised, I'm going to go ahead of you to Galilee. He was going to restore them. He was going to meet them again. And He was going to restore them. And can I say to you, that better place for us is a place where faith becomes sight. Where our communion with the Lord is fasi a fasi, face to face. Where we see Him. Where we sit down with Him. There's a new, better place coming for us. Check it out. It's a place where communion is restored. Number two, it's a place where corruption is absent. Hey man, aren't you just weary of sinfulness and the devastation and the destruction and the, everything that sin causes in this life? Oh listen, I am yearning for that place where there is no more corruption. There is no more sin. There is no more hurt. There is no more pain. There are no more tears because God Himself will wipe them all away. That is what you are destined for. See, cup number four is this, and I might have went past it. Cup number four is destined for fulfilled promises. Destined for fulfilled promises. Every promise that God made in this new destiny that He has for us where communion is restored and where corruption is absent is yes. For He said this, Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. Telling you we're headed for a great place. Listen, I'm kind of homesick for a country. You know what I'm saying? Beulah land, I'm longing for thee. And on, on thee someday I'll stand. There my home shall be eternal. Beulah land. Man, it's where... We are restored to perfect fellowship with God in a face-to-face -face relationship where corruption is absent. By the way, you know this Passover meal, this is where spring cleaning comes from. Did you know that? Because here's what the ladies had to do. They had to sweep their entire house making sure all the leaven was out. Couldn't be any le Leaven is what causes the dough to rise. Just like fermentation process in the wine, uh, it, it, it's that rotting deterioration and it's, it's, it represents what sin does in our lives. So they would sweep their entire house, make sure all the leaven was out for this Passover meal. And that new place, that destination God has for you, get this, there is no corruption. 
And check out the last one. It's a place where creation is renewed. Now, when I say creation, what I mean is creational norms. Because God doesn't just renew this earth, God makes a new earth. John says in Revelation chapter 22, chapter 21, for the old heaven and the old earth passed away. And there was a new heaven and a new earth. It's totally new. But guess what God does on that new earth? You know how, how you can take your computer and you can hit restore to default settings and it goes back to factory settings? I think that's what God does here. He puts this new earth back to His creational intentions. And everything is like it was, like He intended it to be before Adam and Eve ever sinned in the Garden of Eden. Now watch this. You're going to laugh at me, but I've had one of the most difficult two weeks I've had in a long time. Because Friday I had to to put my best four-legged friend to sleep. And it has ripped my heart out. And I know you think that's stupid, but that, that boy and I were like this. He was a big old boy. So in the throes of that, I called Dr. John one day, our resident theologian. And I said, Dr. John, our dog's going to be in heaven. <laughs> and this is what he said. He said, this is what I know. God's going to make all things new. Even creation is going to be reconciled unto Him. Paul says in, in, in Romans chapter 8, for even creation is groaning, waiting for its redemption, waiting to be restored. And I think when God hits the restore to default settings, everything's going to go back to the creational intentions of God. And you know what just might happen there? You know just what might happen? Get this. Maybe there are animals there. And if there are, it goes back to creational intentions where they're not afraid of us, where we have perfect communion. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, For the lamb will lay down with the lion, and a child will play with a serpent. Can you imagine? They're not going to hurt us. And have you ever noticed this? It's always blew me away in Genesis chapter 3 when a snake comes up to Eve and talks to her and she doesn't bolt and run. I mean, if a cotton mouth said something to me, I'm beating feet, son. You know what I mean? But maybe in the very beginning before sin, maybe Adam and Eve talked with the animals. Have you ever thought about that? So maybe one day, I'll sit down with old Louie and I'll say, Hey, bud, how you doing? He said, I'm doing good, man. Give me five. <laughs> Who knows? But that's what God can do in Christ. He's not just reconciling human beings to Him. He is a cosmic Savior. He's going to reconcile all the creation to Himself. And it's going to be just like He intended when He spoke it into existence. Now check this out. That's your destiny. That's your destiny. And guess what? That's what the fourth cup represents. And look what Jesus did with that fourth cup. Check this out. Look what He said in verse number 25. He said, truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new. And Mark says this, I mean Matthew says this, with you in the kingdom of God. Guys, there's coming a day when Jesus is going to spread a banquet table. He's going to gather all his folk home to himself. 
and we're going to sit down and we're going to drink new wine with him and ain't nobody going to get drunk because there is no fermentation in it because that's representative of corruption. It's going to be pure wine like only comes from God like when he spoke and turned all that water into wine in John chapter number 2. We're not going to have a need for any intoxicant because we're going to be drunk on the presence of Almighty God forever and ever. Ooh, give me some of that destiny right now. And look at here, get this. Jesus said that. He said, I will no longer drink the fruit of the vine again until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Guess when he said that? He said that after they drank cup number three. Guys, here's the beautiful part. He got up. He left cup number four full of wine sitting on the table. And they walked out. You see how he implemented lasting change? What you reckon my boys were thinking as they walked out the door? What? What? And Jesus walks off and leaves that cup on the table. And here it is, guys. There's something left for us. That cup's still sitting on the table full of wine. And Jesus says, I'll not pick it up until that day when we sit down again and drink it new together in the kingdom of God. He's got a great destiny for you if you've been born again. He's got a great destiny for us. Cup number four is still on the table. You see, that's one way we face tomorrow with anticipation. Because cup number four, the best, get this, the best is still yet to come, Grace Church. Hey, in this life, our glory days aren't behind us. They're in front of us. But I want to tell you, in the next life, the best part of salvation is yet to come. The cup's on the table. So as we drink, as we partake of this Lord's Supper today, man, we can drink it looking back saying, Thank you, God, that you're a God who kept your promises and you delivered me from the bondage of slavery. You did it with an outstretched arm by your great power. There's no way I did it. You and you alone did that. Praise be unto you. Thank you for making an, uh, an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person like me. There's no way I could keep my salvation if it weren't for you in this unilateral covenant. And God, thank you. The cup number four is still there. And the best is yet to come. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for what...